Welcome to the EggerSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. If you have any questions throughout the webinar today, please feel free to reach out to me. The easiest way to do that is in the chat box. Um, you, you can send a chat to me or ask a question. Any of those uh, are available to you throughout the webinar. I encourage you to use that to ask questions of our presenter today or to let me know if you need any assistance with the technology. So, well, welcome, and today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, PPE, uh, respiratory protection, and um, it's an important topic in agriculture, and because this is part of our OSHA series focusing on women, uh, from time to time we will be indicating how this is impacting women in agriculture as well. So I do like to let everybody know uh, that we are very proud of our affiliation with the NIOSH Total Worker Health Initiative, and uh, our spinoff on that, if you will, is the uh, Total Farmer Health Program. And I'm just having a little trouble advancing here. There we go. We do have some focus areas that we need to uh, be aware of as we go through this uh, program. And number one of those is to identify some of the common exposures that put workers at risk for respiratory illness and then be able to look at what are some of the appropriate respiratory protection measures that workers and family members uh, can avail themselves of. And it's also important to understand the difference between uh, the different kinds of respiratory protection. In other words, what is the difference between a respirator and the fabric or a paper mask that we use for protection uh, in this um, uh, series of COVID weeks and months and who knows years that we are experiencing and kind of you know what all those different words mean. And then looking at what are some of the evidence-based information and resources that are available to us when we talk about uh, looking at respiratory protection. This program is primarily intended uh, for those folks that are uh, working in agriculture and business managers, but along with that, the health and safety folks that work along with them in the community. So that's where we're kind of putting our focus on this. So why do we talk about women when we talk about agriculture? Well, number one, women have a huge role in production agriculture and it's increasing all the time. Uh, in most states, uh, about a third of the agricultural work and management is done by women. And in some states, it's a lot more than that. In some states, it's a little bit less, but they uh, have made an impact in the way that agriculture runs in this country. And over 20% of our migrant and seasonal farm workers are women. And that's an important thing to remember because they are, they are moving around the country, they're working in different areas oftentimes, and they also have family responsibilities because they may very well have their children with them. A lot of different things come with respiratory exposures in agriculture. And one of the ones I guess that we think of often or the most are those confined feeding operations like CAFOs as they're referred to in the big feedlots where we have a lot of cattle, hogs, uh, etc., uh, poultry uh, that are, are the reason that we have an awful lot of these exposures. Uh, grain handling uh, in many of our states uh, is a huge uh, reason that we have um, 
exposure to some of the things that can uh, cause this respiratory distress. Uh, the, the grain itself, the mold in the hay and straw sometimes that is there uh, can really uh, set off some, some nasty symptoms and make people uncomfortable. Uh, we always put cotton in here, mostly because cotton happens to be the basis for the OSHA cotton standard uh, and some of the respiratory work that, that is, is done and has been developed through OSHA. Obviously, chemicals and pesticides can come with uh, opportunities for exposure to things that can uh, cause uh, discomfort and disease. Uh, anhydrous ammonia in many of our areas is a, is a huge factor because so many of our farm operators use that when they're prepping soil and getting ready uh, to, to plant. Uh, welding uh, it has a lot of respiratory impact along with it because of all of the things that can be flying around in the air, uh, uh, metal particles, gases, and such. Uh, Using diesel and gas indoors is always dangerous on, in, on many levels, and, and particularly respiratory, number one, because of the potential for carbon monoxide poisoning. And then there's paint spraying and woodworking. Uh, this is done as work and sometimes done as hobbies. And in this day and age, uh, we are very concerned about a lot of the viruses, particularly when we're talking about COVID-19 exposure, uh, that disease process to the uh, COVID-2. Uh, and the concerns around pandemic. So when we're talking about this, oftentimes, first thing we'll look at are some of the dust because that seems to be where the largest amount of exposure is. And so what are the dust that really worry us? Well, it has to do with particle size and the stuff that you see in the air that the, the haze or the dust that's on a desk or a windowsill or uh, on top of your equipment isn't necessarily the stuff that bothers us, worries us the most. That's a nuisance dust and it can make you cough and sneeze and be uncomfortable. But what we really get concerned about are the really tiny particles that we refer to as respirable dust. In other words, that's the dust that's so tiny, so small, uh, that you don't necessarily see it uh, like you would see those dust particles that are laying around and very visible. We see them uh, in livestock, we see them uh, in uh, cattle, hogs, sheep, goats, poultry exposures, and it's mostly the organic dust and mold that we get concerned about. Uh, and we kick all that stuff up when we're feeding grain and working with bedding and storage of hay and such. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's always indoors. A lot of it's the outdoors exposures, but it's, it almost creates kind of a haze in the air sometimes, if you will, uh, or the mold. You sometimes will see kind of that greenish gassy stuff if, if you're in, um, in that kind of an environment, but it can uh, get be very detrimental because these pieces are so tiny, they get way down in our lungs. With crop dust and mold, uh, again, the organic material is what we're concerned about. And it's that uh, the feed and grain, the dust, the mold, the more mold spores that are in, in the air and in the uh, bedding and in the grain itself mixed in there. And it can be in, in all kinds of grain. It can be not just in like corn and soybeans like we're so used to here in the Midwest, but wheat, cotton, um, hay, oats, peanuts, all of them have that dust component to them. And we know that there are some 
symptoms that are really related to a lot of these dust exposures. Uh, one of the ones that people will complain about first and foremost is a headache. I just get a headache after I've been working in these environments, whether it's indoors or outdoors, but oftentimes indoors. Uh, sometimes uh, dizziness a little bit, uh, oftentimes runny nose, uh, itchy sore eyes or sore throat, uh, coughing and sneezing. Uh, sometimes with the more uh, heavy exposures, we'll have uh, hear complaints of I might just get wheezy or my chest just feels tight. Uh, sometimes even shortness of breath, and uh, and that's one that we really watch, especially uh, now with our uh, issues around COVID, because we know that that's one of the that uh, tightness in the chest and shortness of breath and cough are some of those symptoms as well. Uh, sometimes people will experience nausea and even vomiting when they're in uh, these uh, organic dust exposures. Uh, there's the thing we refer to as Monday morning syndrome, and I know that some of you have heard of it and, and talk about it, but if not, Monday morning syndrome refers to the folks that can oftentimes, they can get away for a couple of days or a week or whatever, and a little vacation, a little time away from your, your farming, ranching operations, and they start to feel better, and they go back to work, and they're feeling pretty good. But about halfway through the day or toward evening, uh, all of a sudden the symptoms start to return. And that's what we refer to as Monday morning syndrome is that when these symptoms go away, but then they come back once that exposure starts up again. And we know that they are uh, sometimes at the root of some uh, pro uh, processes that uh, your physicians will refer to as organic dust toxic syndrome or farmer's lung, uh, another term for hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which can be pretty devastating. And the big key factor in these is looking at the different time lapses between when are they exposed and when do the symptoms start to kick in. And that's sometimes when you can say, aha, we might be looking at one of these processes. What are the different symptoms? Organic dust toxic syndrome. Uh, one of the symptoms there is that dry, irritated cough, fever, muscle aches, and shortness of breath. Uh, is some of the same things that people are complaining about uh, that have experienced COVID. Uh, the uh, farmer's lung, the hypersensitivity, pneumonitis, the symptoms are a lot the same. Uh, the biggest difference uh, with the the farmer's lung issues would be, uh, they'll oftentimes have a fever and that oftentimes doesn't kick in until about uh, half a day to a day after the exposures along with these other symptoms. Uh, they also will have the uh, shortness of breath uh, and the aching, but they will complain more of a tightness in the chest and it gets worse every time they're exposed to it. And it could become an allergic reaction uh, that they're looking at. And this takes uh, a physician to uh, really do a good history, a good workup and get kind of to the bottom of all of this. Some of the other exposures that are out there, um, we know that we're talking largely about uh, organic. Uh, there are in, inorganic exposures, and those are the ones that would be uh, from the dust that comes up from like the mineral components, like the, the gravel or silica, some of those things. Uh, but we, with this, are particularly looking at the organic exposures. 
those exposures may include um, pesticides, uh, again, the woodworking and painting exposures that we've come up against, and the gas and diesel exposures, and the one that, um, again, has been taking notice in the last year are particularly the viral, the bacterial, but the viral exposures uh, and the incubation period with those, like we've said before, uh, when we're looking at things like COVID, that um, time from exposure to symptom onset sometimes is, uh, can be a few hours, but oftentimes is up to two to three, even sometimes four days. So it's when we're doing histories or talking to people about things, we always want to know not what they were doing right now, but what have your exposures been in the last several days. Some of the safety concerns that we, uh, uh, of course, when you are uh, working with your family or you have employees on, on a farm or a ranch, and educating the issues around safety and health and protection are really important. And when it comes to respiratory exposures and some other exposures, personal protective equipment may be the only feasible solution. It is definitely considered the last line of defense. It's not what we want to do necessarily, but uh, in agriculture especially, sometimes it's about the only thing we can do. So really quick, uh, very basic look at the respiratory system. When we think about the respiratory system, we just sometimes think about our lungs and you know how we take a deep breath and what that does to our lungs. But our respiratory system really includes all of these. It starts with your nose uh, and goes all the way down through uh, the, the back of your nose, your nostrils, all of those uh, nasal cavities, uh, the uh, throat, the pharynx and larynx, down to the trachea. And from there uh, on down to the, uh, what we call the bronchi, the left and the main stem bronchus, the right main stem bronchus, uh, left main stem bronchus, and then our lungs. And in those lungs, way down in these little bitty corners, very bottom pieces of your tip, very end of the lung, uh, are things called the alveoli. And they are a, um, look like a bunch of grapes, if you will, or uh, soap bubbles. Um, my kids saw this diagram. My grandkids looked at it and said, that looks like soap bubbles. So they're, they're probably about right. And that's about the uh, how thin they are too, because this is where all the gas exchange takes place. In other words, where we get rid of our carbon dioxide and bring in our oxygen. So they, and there are millions of them in every lung. And if you spread them all out, uh, they would take up the floor in a room or several, somebody said like several tray tables on airplanes. Uh, they're, they're very, very thin, but we have an awful lot of them. And this is where the danger takes place with that respirable dust. Respirable dust gets down into that part of our uh, pulmonary or respiratory anatomy. And you can't cough that stuff out, sneeze it out. Uh, it, becomes very dangerous and is the seat of some of our respiratory illnesses. So when we try to tell folks what this stuff looks like, bottom line is respiratory protection depends upon the exposures. Uh, there is not one type of respiratory protection that's going to work for anything and everything. 
And in order to determine what is the appropriate protection, there's some things we need to know. And number one is, what is the activity? What is that worker doing? Um, and having a good understanding of exactly what the exposure is. Uh, is this an organic uh, material exposure that may have mold in it? Uh, we know that some of these um, materials, of, if you're in a hog barn, for instance, that dust contains everything from insect pieces to fecal material to uh, the grain itself to mold. Uh, it's, it's, it's all there. So we need to know what the exposures are. And then we can assess where do we go with getting the right respiratory protection. There are different categories of respiratory protection. And basically, there are three. Uh, with air purifying, supplied air, and SCBA. Uh, we will spend most of our time talking about the air purifying because that's the one that we work with the most uh, that folks will use the most. Supplied air is that atmosphere supplying respirator that the source of breathing air uh, isn't carried by the user, like the self-contained breathing apparatus, SCBA, is something that they, the tank they put on their back and hook up to their uh, respiratory equipment. So we're going to talk mostly about the air purifying and that is a respirator that has an air purifying filter or cartridge or canister that filters out the air contaminants uh, by taking ambient air. In other words, ambient air is that air that's all around us that we're breathing in. We breathe that in, these filters will remove the contaminants that as, as they come through the uh, filtering element. When we're talking about air purifying respiratory protection, there's some important things that we need to know. And one of those things that we need to talk about uh, is the letters, check the letters. On a filtering face piece, uh, a mask, a respirator, however you refer to that, and these filtering face pieces will have one of these series of letters on them. It'll be an N, an R, or a P. N means that it's a great respirator, but it's not used in the presence of oil mist. And we know that oil mist is oftentimes in agriculture on things that settle down the dust on grain. It's in the uh, materials that are used in cleaning equipment. There are a lot of the sprays. So we always have to be reading our labels to actually see what is in something. So an N is a real basic, great respirator, great protection for a lot of things, but not against oil. R means that there's a resistance to some of the oil mists. And P said you can use this respirator for, for a lot of things, but also where oil is present. And you will see these letters stamped somewhere on these masks. Uh, on this one, you can't see it very well, but it is N, you can see the N95. Uh, that means that this is not used for oil mist protection, but it's a good respirator, okay? You will see these um, uh, on our, our half mask respirator, uh, on our full face or on power, powered air purifying. Uh, they'll be there in some format, uh, but on the, on the filtering face pieces, you'll see them stamped on, on the mask itself someplace. Filter efficiency, filter efficiency, uh, refers to checking the numbers. So we check the letters, we also check the numbers. And the numbers will be 95, 99, or 100. 
Uh, if it has a 95, that means you've got 95% filtering efficiency, which is pretty good, right? 99 is a little higher filtering efficiency. 100 is the highest efficiency that you can get in respiratory protection, but because of liability issues, uh, the manufacturers will tell you that it's 99.97%. So uh, the, that really is, a, is the highest level that we can get. So if you had a P100, you've got protection against just about everything. Now, these all come in different in price points. They come in their uh, configured differently, they look differently, uh, so you have to kind of know what you're looking for, but basically it's the, it's the letters and the numbers. And they will all be marked with a NIOSH manufacturer's name and part number on there. Uh, if you don't see those on there, it is not a approved respirator. One of the things that has come to our attention uh, in a big way in the last year uh, with the COVID pandemic uh, is the issue around counterfeit respirators and misrepresentation of NIOSH approval. And counterfeit respirators are those that are falsely marketed and sold as being NIOSH, but may not be capable of providing the uh, respiratory protection to workers that they need. Uh, when NIOSH becomes aware of these respirators uh, that are misrepresenting the NIOSH approval, they will post them. They will use uh, a website, uh, and the website is that will alert people, manufacturers, and purchasers that this indeed is not an appropriate NIOSH-approved respirator. Okay, and that uh, resource is down is is here. And if you just go to cdc.gov NIOSH and put in counterfeit respirator, it will pop it up for you as well. How do you identify a NIOSH-approved respirator? Uh, it'll have an approval label on it or within the packaging and the mar marketing pieces. Uh, it will be marked on the box itself and it will be in the instructions. Uh, and there will be, as I said before, there will be a stamp with the number and the uh, letters right on the filtering face respirator itself, okay? These will always have one thing that the NIOSH approved respirators will always have one, at least at least one of these following designations on them. And we talked a few minutes ago about some of them, N95, 9900, or the Rs or the Ps. So you will see that someplace on there. So there are some warning signs that it can be counterfeit. Number one is there are no markings at all on it. Uh, but most of them will have markings on it. So that's not necessarily the, the thing to look for. But uh, the important thing is that there will be no TC number, no uh, approval number on these filtering face pieces or, or on the headbands. Uh, a couple of the brands don't stamp it on the mask itself, but it's on the, on the, the strap or the elastic that goes around your head. Uh, there may be stamps on there, but they may not be NIOSH markings, uh, or they may take NIOSH and spell it incorrectly, and I have seen that where they just switch the letters around a little bit, like it's a typo. Uh, they may have different kinds of decorative add-ons on it, like little pictures or sequins or something like that, and that's a, a sure sign that it's not an approved respirator. Uh, they may claim uh, that it's approved for kids, 
And NIOSH absolutely does not approve any type of respiratory protection for children. They just don't go there. Filtering face piece respirator may have an ear loop instead of a headband. And uh, we know that some of the, the masks that we, we can use, um, not the NIOSH approved ones, but some of the, the paper ones that you see have the little ear loops. Uh, they have a purpose, but they are not considered respiratory protection against some of these uh, uh, contaminants that we're talking about here. So those are some of the things that you may want to watch for. <coughs> um, one of the ways to identify what kind of a filter you need for an exposure is to look at the color on them. Uh, regardless of the brand name, they will all come with a colored band on them and the color of the paper or the color of the band or the stamp uh, is what indicates what they're used for. For instance, ammonia, organic vapor, acid gas. Uh, the, the pink or the purple always means it's a, a P100 or a HEPA level filter. And sometimes you'll see them with, there'll be a multi-gas or, or sometimes you'll see a couple of these other filters kind of stacked together, if you will. The important thing to remember is that you need to use the same manufacturer for the cartridges as you do for the respirator face piece itself. You can't interchange brands. When wearing a respirator that fits the key, and all respirators, whether they're N95 or above, have to fit tight to the face and not have any air leaks. And if they're worn properly, they will filter out what they say they will, 95% or more of the particulates. But they have to be donned, they have to be put on correctly, they have to have a fit check performed every time they're worn, and we'll look at that in a couple of minutes, and they have to be taken off or doffed properly. These are some of the things, uh, kind of a quick look at what is recommended for hog or poultry confinement work. Uh, again, it's primarily organic dust, but it's also ammonia, and oftentimes you're working with disinfectants, and these are some of the things that would be recommended. Uh, the filtering face piece or a half face respirator uh, would be recommended for the organic dust exposure. Uh, for ammonia, you may want the filtering face piece, but if you have the symptoms or are uncomfortable, with the ammonia exposures, uh, you can put an ammonia cartridge on a half face and put those little pre-filters on the top of it like you see pictured off to the side. Or if they're working with disinfectants, a lot of our folks like to wear um, either a half, wear a half mask or full face mask and put the acid gas or multi-gas cartridges on them. Now, some of them will say that the full face mask when they're disinfecting, when they're spraying, bother them because it's splash up on the on the, uh, the the full face piece, but that's it blocks their vision. But they like the respiratory protection part of it. Hay and straw again, uh, it's sort of organic dust mold spore issue we're talking about, and uh, we like to uh, recommend the uh, N95, either the filtering face piece or half face respirators. And if you're worried about busting up all these big bales with the, that could have some of that mold in them. A lot of our folks like to wear the P100 or the HEPA rated filters and they find that they bring them the most comfort um, when they're working around this kind of uh, material. Welding, a uh, big hazard again is metal fumes and there are particulates in those fumes. 
So respirator selection is an air purifying respirator and we recommend the N100 up to the P100. Uh, you can put that on a, on a half mask if you want or a full face uh, and a filtering face piece also is an option. Um, be sure you have something like the, your filtering face piece under the hood, uh, unless you have a hood that fits super tight all the way around. But uh, most of our folks in agriculture do not. So we say make sure that uh, not just that flip down hood, but that you have a respirator underneath that. In pesticides, the hazards organic vapors and those aerosols. And those can be, uh, those hazards can either be solids or they can be sprayed liquids. Uh, respiratory selection that is recommended there for the solids would be a filtering face piece with either the NR or P letters series on them. And if it's a liquid, we would recommend a half mask, half face piece with the organic vapor cartridge and a P level pre-filter. There's also the option to use full face respirators or the powered uh, air purifying respirators, the PAPRs, and we'll have another couple of words on that here in a few minutes. Worker protection, worker protection standard personal protective equipment guidance. Uh, this is a document that if you have particularly have people working for you, uh, this would be a guide to have available and you can download it. It's a large document or at least read through it on your computer at some point in time. It comes from the EPA and it goes very, very in detail about the type of protective equipment to use, uh, when to use it, what your workers can do, what they cannot do, etc. And one of the biggest things to remember is to read the labels on all of your uh, insecticides, all of your pesticides, anything that you're using uh, that your workers are applying, whether they're handling it, mixing it, loading it, or applying it. Uh, if they're subject to OSHA, and that would be anybody that has 11 or more employees, um, or if you have a, uh, excuse me, if you have fewer than 11 employees, but you have a temporary labor camp, these things are all going to apply to you. So I would recommend getting a hold of that worker protection standard and really going through it carefully. A couple of things that you want to know are a couple of terms that can get confusing, and that is the term of fit check or seal check. Those two terms mean the same thing. And that's a procedure that the employee themselves is responsible for. And a seal check is every time they put a respirator on, these half-face respirators, or even the filtering face pieces, to check to make sure that they fit tight. And the positive pressure check is the one where they put the respirator on. And on these half-face respirators, you put your, your hand in front of the exhalation valve and breathe out. The negative pressure check is when you, over the areas where you breathe in, and you inhale and you shouldn't feel any leaks. Uh, if you're breathing out, you should not feel any leaks going on. If you're breathing in, uh, there actually should be almost a little collapse on the respirator when you're, um, when you're bringing the air in. Are designed to protect the person that's wearing them from respiratory exposures. Uh, they come with filters, they come with straps on them, the elastic straps, and they, 
do a good job of filtering. They fit the, the face fairly tightly. Surgical masks and cloth face coverings are designed to protect others from you. And that's the biggest difference. It comes right down to it. So if you're breathing, coughing, or sneezing, you are not infecting somebody else. And that's the difference between the two. Cloth face coverings are a little bit different than those surgical masks. They're not considered to be NIOSH-approved protective equipment, but they do serve a purpose, and that's how you protect other people from what you might potentially expose them to without even knowing it. Uh, personal protective equipment, we refer to PPE as that term designated to any kind of equipment that's designed to protect the person that has it on. CDC NIOSH has its recommendations out, and I think we're probably familiar with a lot of these by now, uh, about wearing face coverings and about preventing spread uh, by social distancing, washing hands, et cetera. Uh, but they do have a couple of great um, pieces of um, um, infographics, uh, pictures available that you can get from CDC. And, for those of you that work with folks that may be having a hearing deficit, maybe they don't speak uh, all the same language, um, these things are available and it still teaches a good lesson. Who should not wear face coverings? Well, people older than two are in public settings, can wear them, should wear them. Anybody who is not two years old or has any trouble breathing, uh, or has any kind of a, a cap, cap, um, capacity issue that can't wear a mask or that, uh, that they are unconscious. I mean, that may be kind of a no-brainer, but um, they should not be wearing a mask. And we've seen a lot of folks actually with little bitty kids and they're trying to keep a mask on them, but under two, it, it, can, be, it can become a breathing hazard for them. You can take your face covering off, obviously, when you're at home, uh, but there are ways to do that. And this is, doesn't refer to just the personal protective equipment that we talk about, PPE for agriculture. So what about storage of personal protective equipment? We need to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the N95, the filtering face piece, is the current minimal recommendation for uh, protection. Uh, is the N95, obviously, and we know that the supply is low and that is a huge major concern. So how are we doing all of this and taking care of things? And uh, we need to know that when we take, have these respirators, regardless of what the type of protection is, we need to be taking care of them because they are in such short supply. Uh, we need to be using them and storing them properly. In other words, putting them in uh, you don't just hang them on a hook. You, when you take these off, you'll put them in like a paper bag or a plastic container, but not seal them tightly because there is moisture in there that could develop mold. And that has to do with any kind of respiratory protection. Uh, and then when you can't wear it anymore, when you start tasting, feeling, smelling, all that stuff that you're trying to protect yourself against coming through, then you need to replace them. Powered air purifying respirator. And when do you need to use a PAPR? Uh, if you have a heart-lung condition, uh, that you can't use any other kind of respiratory protection, or if you can't get a secure fit with a half-face or full-face respirator. Oftentimes, those are people that have had uh, structural facial injuries, maybe facial surgery, 
uh, a huge weight loss, weight gain, um, dental procedures where their, their mouth is not uh, the way it used to be, and so you can't get a mask to fit properly. Uh, or again, as we said, if the N95s are not available, which oftentimes they are not right now. Fit testing is required if you're an employer and uh, you have employees that um, need to be wearing a respirator because of whatever their exposure might be. Um, if you are an employee and you're exposed above the what they call the PELs, the OSHA permissible exposure levels, then you would need to be wearing a respirator that needs to be fit tested. If a worker is wearing these respirators on a voluntary basis, fit testing is not required. If they're wearing uh, a filtering face piece, these disposable ones as a volunteer, that there is no reason that they have to, but they're wearing their own uh, personal comfort, then they do not have to have them fit. Uh, otherwise, all respirators, if you are an employer and you have employees, then you have to have these fit. Different kinds of respiratory fit testing. There's a quantitative, that's a port account, the big a fit test, uh, the qualitative fit test that we're most familiar with is um, a pass-fail test, and it uses a sense of taste and smell, and the or the way that you would react to an irritant smoke in order to detect a leak in the, in the respirator. And you can see how that's being done below. Before an employee uses any respirator with the tight-fitting face piece, they have to be fit tested with the same make, model, style, and size that they would be using. And we know uh, that no respirator fits everyone and every face, so it is not a good or a proper practice to have only one kind and one size of respirator available for employees. Um, that's, uh, it's common sense, but we do see it happen because we just know if they don't fit, they don't work. Maintenance and care, um, you have to make sure that respirators are kept clean and in good working order. Uh, and you can take these half face respirators, have all kinds of little pieces. You can take them apart and get them really clean. Uh, dry them uh, you know, on a countertop. Don't throw them in a dryer. Uh, we have had people come ask how come their cartridges don't work because they ran water through them and threw them in the dryer. Um, cartridges, when they don't work anymore, need to be replaced. Um, you just can't be sealing them in plastic bags because we just know that when, thing, when you're breathing, there is a certain amount of moisture stays in there and you run the risk of bacteria and mold and all that stuff. So store them in a paper sack or canister that has a little bit of airflow but does protect them from dust and sunlight and heat. Okay. Um, making sure that they're rinsed really well and then set out to dry is, is one of the big keys. AgriSafe does have resources that we use and recommend, and these are some of them. This is one that's been very popular. It's the respirator selection guide. And on the back side of it is an algorithm that kind of walks through if this is your exposure, this is the type of respiratory protection you need. <coughs> um, some additional resources that we have that we like uh, and we recommend are from uh, some of our partners. Uh, one is the uh, uh, 
COVID-19 pandemic respiratory protection. Another is uh, one, as I said, from four for the FDA. I think you saw a picture of that a little while ago uh, and some of the things that deal strictly with coronavirus. Uh, this is one from our partners with CS Cash and Intermountain. And this talks about the respiratory protection during COVID. It's very well done, easy to follow, uh, very, very nice resource to have available. And if you can't get a hold of it, let me know. We'll help you get it. Uh, 3M has a wear it right. It shows you exactly how to put on a respirator, uh, have face um, filtering face piece and take it off. And uh, we'd like you to know uh, that this material was produced under a grant from OSHA and the Susan Harwood training program. And we are grateful for their help and support and all of their um, the programs that we've been able to do with them. Uh, as an OSHA employee, if you work for um, any organization that comes under OSHA, you have a right to report any concerns regarding the safe, healthy workplace, hazardous chemicals, potential for injury and illness, uh, or you can complain and request a hazard correction from an employer. You have a right to training, a right to your medical records, not everybody's, but yours personally. You have a right to file a complaint and participate in an OSHA inspection, and you are free from retaliation for exercising safety and health rights. Uh, a new uh, program from OSHA just came out this month, actually, um, is the National Emphasis Program on COVID. And in there, it states that you have the right to report if you feel the workplace is unsafe during and because of COVID, and you have the right to report COVID hazards. Uh, so this is a very well done document that just came out earlier this month of March. Uh, this is uh, also where you'll find your whistleblower information on um, how to go about uh, reporting a complaint and uh, OSHA has redone their website. So you can see that um, it looks a little bit different than some of the older sites did, but it, it does have a, a statute summary chart in there as well, and can tell you all the things that you need to know about how to go about filing that complaint. AgriSafe is hoping that you will follow us on our different social media avenues and uh, to check in on our website and look at our resources and uh, go to our learning lab, uh, learning.agrisafe.org. And that has for all where our resources and webinars and everything um, are located. And with that, it's back to Stacy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgriSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. You can learn more about the AgriSafe Network at agrisafe.org, and be sure to check out the Learning Lab and all of the excellent resources available on the site. You can also find us on Facebook or contact us anytime at info at agrisafe.org.